Welcome to the Straight Talk on Fleet podcast with Aaron Gilchrist. Each week, Aaron will be breaking down fleet management, trying to cut through the noise and get down to the real issues safety and operations leaders are struggling with every day. The goal will be to get to the bottom of how leaders can break down these silos of information, accelerate change management, how to use real-time accurate data to drive massive efficiencies across fleet-focused business processes, and to elevate people's careers with emerging best practices. Now it's time for the Straight Talk on Fleet. Hello again, Fleet community. We are back for, okay, this is 39 episodes, which is so crazy. We just started this about a year and a half ago. So the Straight Talk on Fleet is a Fleet podcast that I am um, so gifted and honored to host. My name is Erin Gilchrist, and I have a fun title. I'm the VP of Fleet Evangelism at IntelliShift, which simply means that I get to be or aim to be, you know, a reliable source of information about our fleet ecosystem, the supply chain, all the things that we as fleet leaders get to do every day, and hope that I can share some some knowledge and some insights um, on my podcast. And that just comes from managing a really big fleet for a really long time. <laughs> so um, that's why I get to do this, and it's just so fun. But today, I'm super excited. Um, we have. Uh, the 2023, one of the finalists for the Corporate Fleet Manager of the Year Award, Sharon Etherington with us. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Um, Sharon's been in the industry a long time and an ultra professional, and we'll talk more about some of her accomplishments, but Sharon serves as the Senior Manager of Regional Administrative Services at Roche. Um, In her role, Sharon gets to manage travel, fleet, and credit card services for the U.S. Um, And Roche, for those of you who do not know, is a global pioneer in pharmaceuticals and diagnostics, and they focus on advancing science to improve our lives. So um, more, a little bit more about Sharon. So first of all, welcome again. Congratulations on your um, nomination and being, for being a finalist. I know from experience, um, having been a finalist a few times and then having won this award in 2019, it is um, an esteemed place to be and I feel honored to be um, with you today. So um, before we kick off this conversation, Sharon, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about um, you, kind of what makes you tick um, for our our listeners today. Sure. Thank you again for having me. And um, what an honor it was to be nominated um, this year for um, Fleet Manager of the Year. It's an incredible honor to be in the circles of many that have won and and those that that won this year. My name is Sharon Etherington. I am employed by Roche Diagnostics. I'm based out of Indianapolis. I've been with Roche for 17 years, but in the fleet role roughly about seven. We have roughly about 1,700 fleet vehicles. Um, Most of them are services and sales group. And I raised my hand a couple years ago and said, I would like to take over campus vehicles too. And that was a very interesting awareness for me and a whole different uh, avenue of learning I had to do there. So thank you again for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. Um, Yeah, we're so glad to have you. It's funny that when you said I raised my hand to do this other thing, I think it's kind of in our nature, not just as female professionals, but certainly as female fleet professionals. I think that 
um, we're the epitome of wearing lots of hats. Not that our male counterparts aren't, love all you guys, but I feel like by nature, a fleet job, um, it, it requires kind of, I don't believe in multitasking so much, but I, I don't think we're really able to do that very well. But I do think, as people, but I do think um, that we lend ourselves as women to taking on a lot of different things. And I feel like in the fleet role, we get to do that anyway. I don't think any day is ever the same, right? <laughs> Never the same. And you're right. It's almost like a wheel, right? There's so many spokes in the wheel that just keep that wheel turning. And, and you're right. We um, try to make sure what looks and works well together. And that's really one reason why I raised my hand for that. Yeah, that's great. Um, and a lot of folks say, hey, you know, I don't really know... I didn't set out to be a fleet manager. I don't think anyone does. So tell us a little bit about your journey in the industry and kind of how it led to where you are today in your role. Thank you. I smile when I talk about this because it's, it was an interesting journey for me. Um, I was hired into Roche roughly 17 years ago. And at that time, I um, came into procurement and I had IT and fleet at the time, but my role in fleet from a procurement perspective was really just working on contracts. I helped with the contract, we solidified it, and another two years they would bring it back in front of me. I, so I stayed in procurement for a couple years and um, you know, continued to move around in the organization. I went into partner management in procurement and then went into a global role in partner management. Really enjoyed that. But one thing that helped me get to fleet is I had a mentor and it was an unofficial mentoring. I didn't raise my hand and say, will you be my mentor? It's just a great relationship I had with this gentleman who I could call on at any time, bounce ideas off, help navigate the organization. Um, he helped me, introduced me to various stakeholders and people that maybe would be a good fit for me um, in my journey down the road. And so that was fantastic. And several years later, 10 years later, he reached out to me again and said his leader was looking for someone to fill a role that was going to become vacant in credit card fleet and travel. And, you know, I kind of didn't know if I wanted to do that. I, I just, it didn't strike me as something that was of interest right off the bat. Once I understood how this position was going to be locally, what it looked like um, regionally, then it piqued my interest. But one, one note, they wanted me to come back into procurement and then slide over into this role in about a year because we had one person that was going to retire who had been in that role for like 30 years. And so if you've ever heard the term, you know, climbing the corporate ladder... <laughs> Oh yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of going away a little bit, and I was told that several years ago, and I didn't understand what they what that meant. It's, they said it's more like a jungle gym, and that's how I felt when I went back into procurement. It kind of felt like a step back for me, and that was very hard. But in a year, I knew I was going to transition over into this fleet role, so I'm glad I took that uh, jungle gym approach and and loving where I'm at, and it's been a journey for me because I knew absolutely nothing about fleet or travel or credit card when I started. And honestly, I use that to my advantage at the end of the day. And I think that's a great approach. I love to hear about your story because this idea of toggling back and forth 
and what feels like a lateral movement sometimes really enriches our experience with our organizations and gives us some footing we never knew we needed. Um, so I awesome. love I love to hear that because I know sometimes it feels like, okay, am I what am I gaining here? But then you find when you do it, you've gained so much knowledge and experience that probably has really lent itself well to you in the fleet role. I absolutely um, yeah. agree with that. It was a hard move to make, but if I look back, all the different people I came in contact with that I didn't have before, um, the circle of, of employees that you got to know differently in a whole different way. And it, again, as you mentioned, it just enriches your portfolio of work that you can do or have and, done. And I think about fleet leaders and how we have to be um, so collaborative um, and I'll use that term. I think there's a, a better even term. We have to kind of initiate, insert, assert ourselves inside of the organization with operations and procurement and finance. I mean, if we tried to do all these things ourselves, one, we couldn't. And two, without those partnerships, we would never be able to elevate the kind of um, things that we need to do to make sure we have safe and efficient fleets, which I'm sure many things, as I read your nomination, um, that you had to do, and I think procurement, I, it took me a minute, but I, once I forged that relationship with procurement, it changed everything, right? We had a Absolutely. partnership. Yeah. And I think it's key, as you mentioned, partnership with people, and, and I think that in the long term creates trust. And I, I, I think probably 10 years ago, organizations didn't really understand what it took to run a fleet, but I think today, with us having those key partnerships, whether it's HR, whether it's finance, whether it's operations, um, creating the trust, creating the knowledge, including them in some of your decision making, really creates that trust and the knowledge for them to carry forward to their leaders as well. I, I love that. I was when I first got started doing this podcast. I thought, what would be, where would I start, and. One of my earlier episodes, I think it was five, I talked about project and change management and how I had to learn the hard way, unfortunately, to get all of these people in the organization um, on my side, um, you know, riding in my taxi, so to speak, right. so that when it came time to do big things that, you know, we have to do, um, especially around the safety front. Um, mm -hmm. That's sometimes a tough nut to crack inside of our organizations that without their partnership, I would have been on an island and never would have been able to accomplish, you know, what we did, um, you know, as a team. So it, it's, it's, I think, a critical part of our role as fleet leaders is to get to know those people and, and to get forge partnerships. And even maybe, and I, I've talked about this before, is getting a committee together where you can bounce things off. I mean, I don't know if you've done that at Roche. We did. Prior to COVID, we did have what we called a fleet council. And these were VP leaders of the organization of drivers that had um, vehicles that got disbanded after COVID. And we have a small informal fleet council. I'd like to grow that a little bit more. But I'll tell you what I've noticed for me anyway is... Because we created the relationships, we keep the stakeholders informed. 
we never they're never surprised of something new that's come along that their drivers are going to have to participate in. I think we've created enough trust with these leaders that they are backing me usually 100% of the time or if they'll re they know to reach out if they have any questions, but for the most part they trust is so important and it allows you to do some things you want to do without always feeling like you have to get buy-in. That's excellent um, tips for our listeners. We have listeners of all shapes and sizes, but certainly a lot of new fleet leaders out there. And I think that's excellent advice for them. So thinking about, you know, your nomination that led to you being a finalist for, for this year's Fleet Manager of the Year Award, um, talk about that nomination. Talk about some of the things you did um, and, you know, how it led to, to the place you're in today. Sure. And again, I keep using the word stakeholders. Our drivers are a, a key stakeholder into what we do. And I feel like one of my roles is to ensure they're satisfied across the board with services, um, allowing them to focus on their job and not the fleet vehicle so we can improve on um, various programs that so they're not having to focus on that. So driver um, engagement is key. We do a once a year survey, but what's what we do with that survey, I think provides value. We've got a newsletter that goes out and says, here's the top five things you told us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Here's the top five you told us. And what we do is we focus on each of those five topics, and then we provide a solution to each one. So um, that was one key thing we did. One opportunity we also did um, a year or so ago was at our fleet management company, we invited 10 drivers to come and sit at a round table with our fleet management company to say, what's working well? What's not working well? What's, what's bothering them? What could we do better? And I think hearing the driver's voice and sitting across the table and walking out to the parking lot and looking at how our tools are packed in some of these vehicles was was beyond um, anything we ever imagined of the good feedback that we got from that. Um, the other thing we've really um, updated and refined our safety program. I think that was very important. We also started rewarding and acknowledging our drivers and, and giving them pats on the back for being accident free, for example. I, they appreciated that. Um, and then another thing we did for BEVs and PHEVs in this whole electrification journey, we started office hours. So every two weeks for 30 minutes at, a, you know, at 12 o'clock noon, we have a time where drivers can jump on the line and ask questions. And typically we have our fleet management company, our designated um, charging company, as well as one of our OEMs. And it's just to ask questions and We've got a good feedback on that. We've got a lot of people who just call to listen in. So I, I, those are kind of the key things that I'm proud of and, and believe we are doing our best to enhance our driver's experience. Yeah, that is just excellent. I, I feel like, um, you know, you and I are cut from the same cloth in the sense that we really understand this idea that without the driver's buy-in, um, you're, you're dead in the water. And these guys and gals, right? They are, um, I would say that any organization with a fleet needs that fleet for some reason. And many organizations, they, they, they're 
in some sort of mobile service position. And the drivers, without the drivers, um, you know, we cannot run our businesses effectively. So um, this is going to be so great for those who get a chance to listen to this episode with some of these key things. I love the driver survey. That, you know, great takeaway for our listeners. Um, What a great way to just say, okay, what's on your heart and mind right now? And then what can we do about it? Um, And then including them in some of that solution um, sort of strategy, this idea of having that workshop. um, I did that as well. Drivers and some leaders and the upfitter. And because they were in a mobile, you know, a mobile office. Right. And so making sure that it's fit and it's comfortable and it's, you know, functional for the job they're going to do every day helps them be more safe and efficient. And I love this idea. You, you said something like that you want them to be able to focus on their vocational work. So making it easy to do all the fleet stuff is something I think I've said on nearly every one of my podcasts. Right. Our, our drivers have a job to do, right? And it's it's about our patients and, and how do we, they better serve our patients. So every fleet decision we make has to allow us to keep the patient at the forefront of everything we do. And, and that's by allowing our drivers to not worry about fleet things. They need to worry about how can they get to their customer in a more efficient, more safe manner. Absolutely agree with that. And, and, I, and I think of this idea of like, um, one question I was thinking about asking was like, talk about your role within the org. And I think you really get it in terms of looking at the patient, you know, and saying, okay, our patients are our key um, focus. And so, you know, if you as in this, you know, for our listeners, if you're in a fleet or risk or safety role, think about that bigger picture and the ultimate customer that you're serving and how, um, while we know our drivers are our customers as fleet leaders, Ultimately, it's whatever service we're providing that they need to be able to do. So I, I love that you're thinking, you know, all the way to the end there where the driver's going to make contact with um, your end customer. And how do you make that safe and efficient so they can focus on what we really need them focusing on, and that's our ultimate customer. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that's been key for us as well. That's excellent. Well, congratulations again. And it sounds like you, I mean, I... I got to be a, um, the last couple of years since, since I won the award, I've, I've been able to be a um, judge and oh, I've gotten nice. to read all these nominations and it's just, it's amazing um, what fleet leaders do, what we're tasked with and then how some of us can, again, look outside of ourselves and take it to that next level. And I love um, some of the things you've done, the office hours. Okay. EVs are a hot topic. Absolutely. So, you know, I've, I've been hearing, there's so much going on and this driver adoption piece, right, is critical. So, you, you know, we give it, just think about when we were just giving a driver a vehicle that had, uh, let's say just telematics in it, or maybe it had some advanced driver assistance systems, right? Mm-hmm. That the driver, it, their seat buzzes when they get too close to a vehicle and they're like, what was that? Right. Right. So we give them these the most dangerous tool we'll ever give them as a vehicle. And then what are we sharing with them so they know what to expect? And that user experience is critical. I love this idea that they can call in and that you have these key people on the phone. That's so great. Well, and it's been helpful too because 
What we're trying to do also is just not throw a car at a driver. Go to the dealership, they pick up their car. EVs are new. The dealership doesn't always know what to show the driver. And so we're really trying to kind of put together what that looks like, things to be mindful of when you get a brand new EV. And here's a couple other tips you may want to know and how really how to use the vehicle because we want them to have a good experience with it, obviously. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's just, and it's not like this huge thing. It's a couple of hours where you have some key people right. on the phone and people call right. in, listen in. I mean, if it were me, if I were in your organization and I knew this was happening and I was an operations leader or I was in charge of drivers, you bet I would be listening in mm-hmm. on that just so that I had the knowledge to support, you know, my team. Yeah as these sort of issues and questions come up with a new type of asset. Right. It's so cool. It's, it's fun. And, and we do get a lot of people on that call. And, and every, day, every time we have it, every question is different. It's, it's, you very rarely get the same question. And honestly, some questions we don't have the answer to. The, so we have to go research and come back. But it's been a good learning experience across the board, I think. And one of the things you mentioned was your safety program. And this idea of doing rewards and incentives. Talk a little bit about how that's like how you came to that decision and how that's working. Yeah. One thing we wanted to make sure is we don't be, we aren't negative towards the driver who needs to just change their behavior in a way that helps them become more safe and get home every night. And we, we are trying to really find ways to improve the conversation while teaching them how to drive safer at the end of the day. And so we have, and got approval at the Fleet Council at that one time, it was, we want to put your drivers through a three-hour face-to-face driver interface, and then after that, a a two- to three-hour driving course. And initially, pushback from the drivers was real, they didn't feel like they had the time, mm-hmm. right? Because that's taking them away from what we ask them to do every day, serve our patients. I, but I kept pushing back. If, if you're not well, if you were in an accident and hurt your shoulder, you're, you're not going to be able to service our patients. So how can I give you tools that will help you to do that? And we had drivers grumble. It's taking them away from what they want to do. But the most rewarding part was we've had a few drivers call and say, thank you, number one. And then two, can I have my teenage children take it? Because we think this was very powerful and meaningful. So so when I heard that, I knew this was really worthwhile to keep. Is it inconvenient sometimes? Sure it is. But again, at the end of the day, how do we arm you with ways that you can be more safe on the road. And and what we also did is I took the training and we have one other person in fleet. We made them take the training just so we could talk and talk the talk and walk the walk. And, and um, we made drivers take that training once every three years. And then again, as I mentioned, then we reward those drivers who are, are driving excellent. And again, those drivers who are kind of slipping into what I would call a high risk or a severe risk, we have them meet with their leaders and figure out how can we help you? What do we, what do you need from us to help you drive more safe? And and those are some good conversations and we're trying to again, not have them be so negative, but more positive. Yeah. And I think that 
for any fleet out there, a, a comprehensive safety program is never about if, it's always about when. Oh my gosh, distracted driving, for example. I mean, oh. I have, I did, so the 100 deadliest days, right, between um, Memorial Day and Labor Day, mm-hmm. where miles driven go up in the U.S., families are out there on the roads on vacation, more teens are out of school and driving, newer drivers, inexperienced right. drivers. Um we see these accident numbers go up significantly and especially distracted driving. Mm-hmm. And what a scary place it is. So I think, you know, if you're a fleet leader listening and you're like, I don't know, I know we need to do something differently. Driver training, excellent place to start. Um, you know, which should be like core and fundamental, you know, right. in every work. I would, I, you're, it's like handing someone, you know, a backhoe and saying, good luck. You, you really exactly. gotta do that exactly. You, just because someone knows how to drive a car doesn't mean they know how to be a professional driver. Absolutely, I agree. And that's how we have to think about our driver base. Even though they might see themselves as, "Hey, I spray lawns, I clean carpet, I change windshield, you know, um, I, I fix windshields." No matter what the vocation, at the heart of it. They're out on the roadways driving millions of miles alongside moms and dads and kids. And, th- and we care about them the most, right? They're our, they're our bread and butter. Like, we want to keep them safe. So it's just, it's all about messaging, I think, these days to get, to change the hearts and minds of drivers about how unsafe it really is out there. And, you know, we've had some drivers come back to us and say, well, Sharon, look at my driving record. I haven't had an accident in seven years and I had no violations. That's great. But how do we teach you to watch for other cars in the road? How do we teach you to look farther down the road that an accident that maybe has happened that you have to prepare to stop very quickly? So it's not just about you being a safe driver on um, using your vehicles. How do you watch around you as well? to keep your eyes focused and make sure if you see something happening, you can have time to react as well. It's that anticipation. And we've had a lot of our customers who were in the telematics world doing a lot of work around, you know, telematics, helping them be more efficient, really making that shift to um, eliminated, eliminating aggressive driving, and then now switching into the camera because their insurance companies are coming to them and saying, hey, we, we want to require this to renew. And, and I think, again, that's a tough one, this inward-facing mm-hmm. camera, outward. But at the end of the day, for me, if, if I can be alerted to someone else doing something that they shouldn't be doing, that's going to put me in a position um, that I never pictured as I left for the day. No, no right. one thinks they're going to get in an accident. But unfortunately, the statistics are staggering around distractions. So, absolutely, you know, and it's tricky. I, I, and I also agree that um, pressure on drivers is a real thing in the sense of how quick can you get to the next job? How soon can you finish on job A because you have four more to go? So we have started having the conversations with one particular group in a service organization and asking those questions. So how far apart do you have a time where a driver can get from point A to point B? And then we ask them the hard questions. Are you creating this angst for the driver so the driver feels like they have to speed to get to the next 
um, job. And so we're having those conversations right now and they're not easy conversations, but they're real conversations. And we're having a few aha moments with our service organization in, in that aspect. Um, don't know where that conversation is going to continue to, but we are learning that there's some opportunities that our, our service organization can help to ensure our drivers can be safe and have time to get from point A to point B. And wow, think about the impact when, you know, this all shakes out, just like some of the other things you've been doing. When these things shake out, what it says to the drivers is we care. It proves to them Absolutely. that you care. And, and and that takes me to like this idea of like how we measure ourselves as fleet managers. You know, there's lots of measurements and KPIs and metrics that we're thinking about every day. But sometimes those can reflect, you know, what we really care about and what's really important. So, you know, in your role, talk about some of the ways that you, you know, measure fleet and how you know you're being successful. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I, for me, the very first thing that came to my mind was how do we are reporting crash per million miles or accidents, excuse me, accidents or incidents per million miles. And I smile and I'm smiling right now because I'm seeing the line go down and we have it where we want it to be by 2025. And I think we're going to make that. So I, I, I'm like a little kid on Christmas morning when I look at that document and it, it's always it's going down right now. And we've been on a downward trend since right after COVID, first part of COVID to right after COVID because our drivers were still driving during COVID. Um, so that to me, that means what we're doing is helping. Absolutely. I think there's no more important measurement than um, accident rate. And then it's like, yeah. what do you do with that information? Right. And how do you dig into um, the root causes of those accidents and then address them um, yeah. in a way that's sustainable? You know, I that's kind of that. tricky. You know, yeah. it's like it's important that that rate goes down. But you're like, OK, so what's the why? Um, right. Where are we seeing the most issues? And then how can we address those with the drivers um, and their managers to, again, it, it's easy when you, you kick off a program. Like I remember like yeah. idling. Oh, we, we, you kick it off, idling goes, whoop, and then you, everybody's super excited, sees right. big fuel savings, and then you just see those trend lines go back mm -hmm. up because mm -hmm. the lack of focus. You know, it's like, oh, nobody's super focused on this anymore. But with safety, we don't, we're not afforded that right. opportunity. Right. It has we to be 100, you know, 100%, 365, you know, every day. Absolutely. And we are also reaching out to the driver's leader and we are pulling them into many conversations and also asking them to have skin in the game with their drivers. How are they keeping their drivers safe in the sense of, are you reviewing with us any driver that's a high risk or severe risk? And, and here's their data points. This is how many times they're not using their seatbelt. And, and, and so we put a lot of onus on the driver's leader as well. And I think now, now we have in a good good way, right? We want to make sure this is positive conversations and not negative conversations. Well, and I think that's a great approach too, too, because it trains that leader of the driver to be better and better at these convos, right? Absolutely. You don't, right. I don't think an operations leader gets into a role and they just know, they know how to run their ops, but do they really know how to talk to a 40 year veteran driver who's old enough to be their, you know, grandfather yeah. 
and try to coach them on driving. I think that's something that I have found over the years to be tough. Those operations leaders are like, ugh, I don't want to have that conversation. It's hard. But the more you do it, um, and, and you do it in the company of the fleet team or the safety or risk team, um, everybody learns together and finds those positive right. ways to send the message and change the behavior. Absolutely agree. But it takes Absolutely time. Agree. It does take time, and, and sometimes I'm not patient. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I feel you. I, I made the mistake sometimes. I'm always like diving into things head first, and that's not always always the best way to do it. you got to wade into the water sometimes. Um, so thinking about like switching gears a little bit, there's, I think, a, a key couple of challenges that I talk about all the time are, you know, we see constraints in the supply chain still. We see prices rising in every good and service. Um, we see distracted driving going on out on the roads. Um, that is, is a never-ending challenge, despite the fact that people are dying. Um, you know, and young people and people of all ages out there doing everything but driving behind the wheel. So when I think about all these challenges, I mean, for you, what are your top, like, two to three things that you're focused on over the next, you know, what, however you kind of plan, one to two years, three to five years? What are some of those things, and what are you doing about them? Yeah, one that came right to my mind is we did a lot of pre-ordering in anticipation of new hires, and that has saved us time and money. And, and how that saved us time and money is obviously during COVID, and as you mentioned, the supply chain, there wasn't new vehicles for us to have at the time. Yet, Roche was still hiring people, and they were out in the hospitals and in labs fixing equipment or installing equipment. And I was putting people in rentals, and that just continues to burn money. Yeah. And so one thing we've done different, we've ordered probably 200, over 200 um, vehicles to one, beef up our inventory, two, to have vehicles ready for when a new hire starts, they immediately get in a vehicle and they're utilizing an asset that um, now that we have on the book. So I think that's important is it's staying out in front of the hiring within your organization and having fleet vehicles available versus putting them in um rental cars that's just it's very expensive and then you can't have that same experience that you do when you have that vehicle that you've you've purchased for the fit and function of their role Absolutely. you're kind of stuck with what you get and and maybe you have telematics maybe you have cameras you know and you can't just grab a rental and have it feel and look like the vehicle that you would have provided for them. That, Absolutely yeah. agree. Absolutely agree. And it wasn't a good experience for drivers. They wanted their own car. They knew they had a rental. That was something that um, they had a hard time adjusting to being at a rental versus getting their own car. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one. That was one item. Um, I think also we have to partnership again with finance because these accidents are costing a lot of money to fix and so how are we in continuing to again to your point keeping distracted driving to a minimum um, also the incentives from the OEMs there's a couple good ones still out there but that is pretty much going away and so how do you offset that cost and so again we're partnering with with finance to um, help us be creative in how we do that that's a great strategy I, I've been talking a lot about you know, these things that are out of our control, right? We have supply chain constraints. We have rising costs. Fuel has never been something that we've been able to predict or control. So it's like, 
fundamentally, let's do all the things well that we can control, like absolutely ensuring safety behind the wheel. Because you and I know that the safer the vehicle is operated, the more efficient it is. Absolutely. So it saves money on fuel. It saves money on maintenance. So I always say when you build for safety that all aspects of fleet management sort of fall into line on that P&L. It's almost like your foundation of, yeah. of everything in the fleet world. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you can't absolutely. go wrong there. Um, mm-hmm. So before we before we end, I mean, you've given more than a, a amazing advice on today's yep. call. I think a fleet leader at any level will listen to this episode and be like, wow, um, there's there's things I can go and do differently. So thanks for sharing your sure. intellectual property with us today. Yep. <laughs> any sort of last kind of things you want to share for, you know, people coming into fleet? Um, maybe what advice you would give them as they get rolling in their career as fleet or safety leaders? I think I have a couple and, and one literally just hit me is your fleet is your fleet. It's hard not to look to your neighbor to the left and your neighbor to the right and compare your organization and where you are in your fleet to somebody else's. Highly recommend you stop doing that because you have to satisfy your stakeholders. And I, I think that's very important. To, and, and if anything I could give to new fleet leaders that are coming on board, you have to manage your fleet. You learn from everybody else, but you don't have to be like everybody else. Um, also, I think where I learned the most coming in is is the various organizations, whether it's Fleet Forward, NETS, AFLA, um, NAFA, those types I think are very important. And participating in the Mentor Fleet Mentorship Program, highly recommend that. That way you can talk to someone who's walked the walk, and I think that's important. And I'm gonna say this again, I think, for a new fleet leader, partner, partner, partner with finance. I think that's extremely important. Um, I think they have to understand the why about cost and the how about cost. I think that's very important. Um, And it educates them, but now the financial questions they can answer to the top leadership versus them having to call you and, you know, why are the costs so high in department A, B, or C? I think that's important. Yeah, Um, great. Excellent tidbits just throughout this whole conversation. But certainly those final thoughts, super meaningful for those, I, I think, seasoned fleet managers as well as, as new ones. So I to our fleet community, um, you're going to love this episode. I, I If you're listening, I'm sure you're writing things down. I know I was, and, and I'm not currently running a fleet. So um, thank you again, Sharon, for being oh, here. Oh, my pleasure. Um, I love what you're doing. And, and for those listening, um, like, subscribe, um, find us on the Straight Talk of Fleet, wherever you find your content. Um, but what we like to say on, on the Straight Talk on Fleet is keep it real, keep it, keep it safe for fleet's sake. So again, thanks for listening. And Sharon, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you again for having me.